nobody on. The playoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called to the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Viver, and as always, I'm joined by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. Happy New Year to everyone as we enter 2021 and we look forward to the 2021 Major League Baseball and Auto News season. Uh, on this episode, though, we're going to look back at 2020 a little bit. We figured it might be interesting, maybe a little self-indulgent of us to talk about some of our best and worst sleeper and bus calls that we had last year. We did a positional preview series last year. I think we did eight episodes total, sort of talking about the players we liked the most, the the sleepers we liked, the bus that we were trying to identify. So we're going to do a little bit of a review in this episode here. So <clears throat> why don't we start? We'll start negatively and then we'll move towards the positive stuff at the end of the episode. Well, I'm going to talk a lot more at the beginning then. <laughs> I think you're being, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we recorded, and I think Niv's being a little hard on himself, but... We'll see as we get into it. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about who you guys think was your worst bust call. Somebody you you thought was a bust, and when we did our positional preview episodes, and made you eat crow. I think you both have one name <laughs> you shared in common. And, yeah. yeah. I, and I'll be honest, I would have been right there with you, but I didn't. the only reason I didn't mention him is because you guys had mentioned him in that episode. So I think the, the caveat is that, well, whatever we can say is a caveat for this, is that we were talking, we were speaking relative to his average value, his average salary at that point, which we thought, I think Chad and I both agreed was a little high, but we both have Fernando Tatis down. For shortstop, we put him as a bust at the $35 average salary. No, <laughs> that was not true. He was awesome. I think, you know, the concerns we had now, maybe I'll leave this a little bit to Chad, but the concerns we had were involved, involved the whiff rate and just the high price tag at such a young age. He outperformed it in 2020. I think that's undeniable. But Chad, do you still have those concerns going forward? Or like, like if we did, we're going to soon, I suppose, do another one of these sleeper bust episodes like what is tatis for you in 2021 yeah i mean i i think you made an important point there which was i don't think either of us was saying that tatis was going to be bad it wasn't a this wasn't a bust in terms of man he's going to sink your i wouldn't spend chad's money on him right it wasn't like that it was was yeah it was a bust in terms of like his he was being treated like a perennial all-star who had established himself as the number one shortstop in the game. And he wasn't, he hadn't yet. He you know, has I, now. I, you know, I certainly have less concerns than I did. I mean, I, you go, you go look at his numbers and his walk rate went up from an already solid 8.1% to a very good 10.5%. His K rate, which as you said, was a concern was at 29.6% in 2019. It was only 23.7% in 2020. All of a sudden plate discipline's a strength for him instead of a concern. His home run per fly ball rate, which felt a little inflated, basically stayed where it was. It was 31.9. It stayed up at 29.3. I mean, just across the board, 
The only thing that got worse, which I think we could have projected, was his BABIP went from 410 to 306. But because of the improvements in walk rate and strikeout rate, and because he had some more fly balls, his WOBA didn't change at all, really. It went from 398 to 392. He went from a 150 WRC plus to a 149 WRC plus. Now, the, ca- the caveat to all of this is he has 629 career plate appearances. He's got one season under his belt. Right. And so, but what a season to, to, it was! <laughs> yeah, no, I know it's 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 hard to argue with it, right? I mean, if you look at it, if you if you treat yeah. his career so far as a single season, thirty nine home runs, one hundred and eleven runs, ninety eight RBIs, twenty seven stolen bases, a three hundred one, three seventy four, five eighty two slash line. It's there, there's not a lot to to quibble with there. He's just been great. I do think it's fair, you know. I, it's we'll see what's happening in in auto new leagues. I mean, I think in auto new leagues, his he's not, he's been kept everywhere. And even where he's been armed a bunch, no one's cutting him. So there's right. not a lot to, to talk about here. But if you look at redraft, um, like go to like NFBC's ADP, and he's going as a top four guy. And again, it feels a little bit like we're paying for ceiling for a guy who's got a short-ish track record. But then I'm not really sure who I would take <laughs> over him. Right. So it's hard to argue with. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, he, he answered my biggest questions about, you know, could he sustain it without the same BAPIP? Could he sustain it while striking out that high by sustaining his performance without the BAPIP and by really fixing his strikeout rate? So, yeah, I mean, here it, we go. It, Hall of Fame, here we come. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But I think, I, I think some concern and some pessimism was warranted when we were recording last year, specifically because of the BAPIP, specifically because it was, a you know, he hadn't really shown great plate discipline skills and and some of those things can be easily eroded right like they're not those are sometimes more luck metrics than they are anything else but it's sort of remarkable he hit at the same level he did as the year prior but just in a different way and in a better way that further solidifies that this is for real I mean, all the things that Pad Shad already mentioned the the walks up the the strikeouts down he hit the ball harder yeah the babbips down but like Chad said we would have expected that anyway I think the point of calling him a bust last year was if he was mostly the same player he was in 2019 and that BABIP came down, then auto new managers were going to be disappointed with that result. At the price, yeah. Right, at what they were, what the, what the market rate was for him. But I got to say, like, for, I think we maybe alluded to this in a prior episode, the early 2021 surplus calculator dollar values, which right now are only based on Steamer for, for Tatis, he's a shade under $50 in Fangraphs points. Crazy. You know, and so the projections were they were the ones that were very pessimistic compared to his actual performance in the market. It's now seems to be that's that's just in line with everybody else now. Yeah, well, part of what Steamer's seeing is if you look at his stack cast numbers, his exit velocity as a rookie was 90.4. His average exit velocity went up to 95.9. His average ball in play is a hard hit ball that's just insane and that's how he ends up with a 62.2 percent hard hit rate his barrel rate is just under 20 percent and i think one of the things that jumps out to me is when his when his bapip dropped he was hitting not a ton of fly balls just a 30.9 percent fly ball rate as a rookie and a lot of line drives at 22.4 percent that 22.4 percent came down to 16.5 while the fly balls went up my guess is like his and his average launch angle went up as well, and his launch angle is still a little on the low end. It's it's eight point seven for an average launch angle, which, if you look at the the sweet spot metric on Statcast, it measures anything with a launch angle between eight and thirty two, and so eight's right at the bottom end of that. I, I think there's, 
I think this is a little scary to say. There is room for him to start elevating the ball a little more and perform better. Better, uh, yeah. He doesn't have to do a lot, right? He's doing just fine, but like he could hit fewer ground balls, more line drives, and more fly balls next year pretty easily. And with the with everything else staying as it is, it'll it'll end up with a better season, which just seems crazy to me. I still think there's some like you still have this like it's only one full season. We have to see how he sustains this over time, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. 50 bucks seems like a lot, but I can't think of another shortstop I'd rather pay it to, I don't think. Yeah, and he just turned 22 three days ago as at the time that we're recording this too. So, I mean, he's still, he did that as a 20-year-old and then a 21-year-old in the short season, So, which is remarkable. I mean, yeah. So, I, I don't, I, I think it just, you know, this is one of those times where sometimes the projections are a little more tepid on some of these early breakouts and... They have good reason to be because nine times out of 10, some of these breakouts aren't for real. But I think I'm, I'd be definitely more willing to say at this point that Tatis is for real and that this, this is his talent level. Look at us going out on a limb here. Fernando Tatis <laughs> is a good baseball player. You I don't, heard yeah. it here first I heard, on the Autobot podcast. You heard it here first. I don't think, I don't think he's going to be on my bus list this year. I'm just going <laughs> to say that way. He's like, uh, well, he's riding $36, he's, $37. He's certainly not going to be on your sleeper list at, no, the, at the rates no, he's going. No, <laughs> But it will be interesting to see in first year, like first year Fangrass Points League specifically, what his average salary will be. Yeah. You right know, right I mean, now. How high could it get? He's sitting in the 30 to $35 range, like the... Last, that's a lot. Last tens, thirty six, thirty seven dollars, <throat> and those are, right? Those aren't new leagues, right? Those are, these are people who have kept this player for a while. So right. So those don't really refre- reflect uh, market rate because nobody had cut him. So you're not getting those like reads at the end of the season where you might get a, a decent sense of his current uh, market. So, so right. Justin, now that we've we've completely annihilated any credibility Niv and I had for our ability to pick busts and evaluate shortstops. Yeah, Fernando Tatis. Who, who are what your great... busts you're disappointed in? <laughs> well, well, I have a shortstop that I also epically failed at when calling a bust, and that was Corey Seager. I, I think I bought in a little too much to the relatively poor performance the prior two years in 18 and 19 and some of the injury concerns, but he was nearly as good as Tatis this He's year. outstanding this season. year, yeah. And I mean, and I think even when we recorded that episode, I might have made made mention of the fact that I thought that the talent was still there, but I was just pessimistic and it seemed like people were paying prime Seeger prices when when they weren't discounting like they should have. But I was proven wrong there. I mean, he was he was excellent and he was hitting for as much more power than he ever has, really. His his ISO was 278. He, his highest before that was his rookie year at 224. So hitting for more pop, the plate discipline was pretty similar to his career averages, although he, he was making better contact with under 16% strikeout rate. But he was great. And I think that, you know, that might, again, he's only going to be 27 in this upcoming season. So he's still young. I think sometimes it might feel like he's a couple years older than that, but he's not. He's still in that prime range where where he's going to be back into that conversation as a top three or four shortstop right now again i'm he's third on on the list on the surplus calculator among shortstops at 41 dollars. so which is a lot higher than i would have expected this time last year based on what we knew then so yeah that was just a bad call my, my caveat with him looking forward like everything there's nothing in his 2020 that looks weird. It's not it's not BAPIP inflated. He's got the exit velocity, including max exit velocity, to, to back up what he did. His hard hit and barrel rates are really good. I I just I just sort of feel like we just saw his career year. 
And that isn't necessarily a problem, right? If he goes back to being the guy he was in, in let's say, 2016, 2017, which actually, as I'm looking at projections now, Steamer that's, basically projecting right. that. Yep. That's a really good shortstop. That's a top shortstop, but it is a far cry from what he was last year, right? Last year, he basically was Tatis's peer. And, and I don't think it's fair to expect him to do that again. I, I'd be interested, you know, if I'm looking at, at him in a league where I'm playing, if I'm looking at him... A, from the perspective of a trade candidate or something like that, I am curious, you know, does his current manager think that he was a fluke? It was a short season. It's a small sample. You know, we know who Seager is and this isn't it. I would buy low, but, but I think that only really works. I guess I would say I, I would buy high as long as the high I'm buying isn't his 2020 was legit. If the high I'm buying is he's going to go back to being the guy we thought he was going to be when he was a 22, 23-year-old, I would pay for that right now. I would pay for that level of production and feel really good about it because I think he'll be there. And there might be an opportunity, I think, for for some of his current, some of the teams that currently roster him to, let's get a little like specific on the numbers, but he had a 394 Woba last year, if you can find somebody who will pay for him like 380 to 390 is accurate, when I think more like 360 to 370 or maybe 375 is accurate, there's an opportunity here, I think, to to cash in on that season. Yeah, it, it's just, I, I don't think, I don't think what he did last year is totally where he's going to be in the future, but I do think he reestablished himself as as a super talented young shortstop to be, to be reckoned with. Yep, I agree. It's um, crazy to think that before the season last year, there were questions of whether or not the Dodgers should trade for Lindor. Right, right. Where they're like, well, we don't know if Seeker's going to hold this spot down. And and that is yeah. apparently not an issue anymore. Although he's a free agent after the season two, right? He's he's on after that the same... Season, yeah. yeah, so he's going to... It'll be interesting to see what they do with him, especially with Lux. Like, they've, they've seemed super hesitant to give Lux real playing time. It's so weird, yeah. And theoretically, if you go back, let's say, 12 to 18 months, it seemed very clear that, like, they'll keep running Seager out there. They're going to see what he can do for the last, you know, 12 months of his time with them. And then Lux will take over as the shortstop of the future. And that's, like, the, that's all inverted now. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's 100% they, they inverted. extend Seager, maybe? Right, and because they haven't really seen if Lux is the answer. And Seager played in such a way that they didn't even get a chance to test it, right? And then, I mean, on top of it, you're talking about a team that um, won the World Series. So, <laughs> like, what do we... What, like, you can't just be like, well, break it up. I mean, you can, I suppose. But it doesn't seem like the Dodgers' MO. So it'll be interesting to see what what kind of opportunity Seager has going forward. Like, if you're thinking, thinking about him over the next, like, two or three years... This year, what, he's sitting in the 30s, in the low 30s, and I think based on, Chad, what you just said, that sounds like a right price for him in auto new. Like, I don't think, I don't think what, he's... What does he show up at? You said $41 surplus. in surplus, right? So, so, so that, that's a question, right? And that's using Steamer, which is projecting him back to being not all the way in the rarefied air of last year, but, but good seeker. I think the challenge I have with with that price is, and I'm looking at the projections now, 
depth charts has him, which I think you use depth charts, right? Not just it's the steamer projection, but it's it, the depth charts playing time. Right. It's the depth charts playing time. But right now their rate projections are fed yeah. only from steamer. And they're actually, they're very similar anyway. So I'm not sure it really matters, but depth charts has him at 151 games played and, and 651 plate appearances. That seems aggressive to me. Like a high Even number. last year in a 60-game season, yeah. he missed eight games. Now, part of that is that they're being cautious with him, I think, especially in a, a shortened season. But I don't expect that to change. So I, I don't think 151 games is a realistic total for him. I think 140-ish might yeah, be. Yeah, 140 is. And that, that's enough to knock two or three bucks off that that value. And so I, I think, you yeah. know... $35, maybe up to yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. 35 36 is probably closer to where I would be valuing him right now. This is why Justin and I never make trades. <laughs> I mean, Besides maybe. the fact that we've only played in one league together. <laughs> well, <ever>. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can make all sorts of hypothetical league, trades in leagues we're at, not in together. But <laughs> before we move on, and we are going to move on here, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention another very bad bus call on my part, which was Ronald Acuna. I'll be honest, I don't remember why. At the time we recorded the outfield episode, I I think it must have been just a a factor of how much he was going for. And I think I surmised at that point that maybe because he's so good in five by five, it was sort of artificially inflating his his Fangraphs points value, because that's a lot of what we're talking about is more from a points perspective. But he also was fantastic. So that was just a dumb call. And I don't know, in hindsight, I don't know why I, I maybe it was somewhat similar to the Tatis thing where. You know, he had he'd back split a little bit in his second season. And maybe I thought that that was more, we you know, that, that was closer. Time about the the Soto Acuna comparison yeah. doing a disservice to, to Acuna's value because he, prior to 2020, he wasn't Soto. He was excellent. He was a very good player. Outside of, you know, in, in five by five and more, you know, more traditional formats where you add speed over Soto, there's there's some benefit right. there. But then in, in points leagues and in, in even in four by four, the this Cunha is very good, but he he just wasn't Soto. And I think that was part of it was there's it seems to be this anchoring that those two guys should be similar and they're they really shouldn't be. The crazy thing is that Acuna went out last year and basically was Soto, except <laughs> Soto went out last year and, and was, was basically else. Ted Super Soto. Yes. <laughs> Super Soto, yeah. Like, I don't even know how to describe what Soto <laughs> did last year. Uh, and so but, uh, yeah, but, yeah, I, mean, I think that might be the biggest thing is just there was a sense, because I had this last year too, that I that I felt like, not that Acuna was going to be a bust, but that everybody expected like, oh, Soto and Acuna have established themselves as Heck top together. five guys. And it's like, yeah, yeah and five by five, that's true. But in most auto new leagues, it's not. And I think I think that's where it felt like his value was just out of whack, according to the market or his market value, I guess. I, but I don't know. I didn't call him a bus. So I, <laughs> no, uh, that, that's that's on me. And, and and I think, you know, maybe I just sort of took that that logical extension a little too far. It's hard. It's hard to bet against some of these young guys, especially the ones that even though he might have been a little more disappointing in 2019 than 2018, he was still excellent at the plate anyway. But yeah, I mean, he he walked, he added almost eight, more than eight percentage points to his walk rate. His his ISO went up almost a hundred points. Like he was he was nuts. And again, just a bad call. And yes, it's a short sample mini season, basically a third of a season. But I think that it it was, if anything, maybe it was, should have been don't buy him at the price, but don't call him a bust. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> that was just wrong. 
So, all right, let's go to our worst sleeper picks. These were the guys we were optimistic on, and uh, for whatever reason, they didn't work out. Niv, if you want to start with yeah, yours. Yeah, this is where I really shine. If you go through <laughs> our, our our episode notes, I really hit a, a, a wrong sleeper at almost every position. Niv's all not sleepers, all stars, or whatever. I put Domingo Santana here. I had the same hope that the Cleveland Indians had, which is that you can hide him in the outfield. He won't have to bumble around too bad out there and the power would come back a little bit and none of that was true he played miserably briefly and then didn't get to play anymore he just didn't hit he didn't hit this year like what are you gonna say about it when i was looking at some of these sleepers and you know we can get to this we'll get to this a little bit more later because when we talk about our best sleepers but like we we were always trying to orient around who are players that as this season rapidly approaches, half the league, because of the way the 2020 season started, half the leagues had already drafted, half the leagues had been able to postpone. So we're trying to figure out, like, what kind of players are still out there that, like, something has changed since March that you can, that you can like, try to play off of. And so we're trying to be really clever, I think, with some of these sleepers. So when I'm going through them, like, Santana, he was average four-ish dollars and pretty available player. I had, like, Williams a studio listed, right? And we were talking about him as like, hey, he's hit when he hits, but it does he have a place in that Twins uh, lineup? And the answer was no, it turns out. I defended vociferously that he did and deserved one, and I was wrong. He didn't uh, have a spot there. Obviously, COVID broke up some of these guys' seasons a little bit, but we were trying to be clever, and, you know, that is what it is. But And, and I think that's the exact same disease that the Cleveland baseball team suffers from, which is trying to be clever in the outfield. And you, you try to cease, try to create something that isn't quite there and take an imperfect player and see if you can slot him into the lineup. And Santana just wasn't that this year at all. He was just could not hit. And he, what, he got sent down or DFA'd like in the middle of the season, right? Like 60-game season, and he didn't get to finish it. So. And the issue with with Santana and guys like him is if they don't hit, then they're they're not going to play because just, he has you can't no play them because they are such a liability in the field. Right. <clears throat> whereas whereas Lindor, when he came up, or somebody like Christian Pash, who's who's coming up, you know, he's going to get a lot of run because even if he doesn't hit, he's still he's such a plus in the outfield that right. you still have to. He's not going to take away runs there. And Santana was a negative outfielder and left, and the Indians ran two negative outfielders out there. And when, if you can't hit and you're just a drag out there, like at least throw a couple guys who can play center into the outfield. So in a weird, in a weird way though, I think Domingo is a guy who may belong on sleeper lists again. It's been a, now it's, we're now moving far enough away from his, his breakout year with the Brewers to that. It's, you know, he, I think that 372 Woba is sort of off the table and, and not coming back. But last year was a weird year for, obviously, for a lot of people. But Domingo posted the highest walk rate he has in his career. It's his lowest walk rate in about four years or five years, second lowest of his career. The only year he had a better strikeout rate was 2017, that breakout season. He also had a 209 BAPIP. He had a super high ground ball rate for reasons I don't fully understand. And it feels a little bit like his... He actually improved his plate discipline, but never got his swing set up the way he wanted. Um, just looking at the numbers, right? There's no reason a guy with his power and his home run per fly ball rate, yeah, right, twenty percent, which isn't a whole lot less than it was. There's no reason about... a guy with his power should be hitting that many ground balls. And so I just get the sense that like 
he just never got in a groove. He never got in a place where he could hit the ball the way he wanted to. And yet his plate discipline improved. And if he can carry over those plate discipline improvements, if that's a real change, and he can couple that with a full spring training where he's able to get his, his swing back in the shape it's supposed to be, I'm not sure that he's not a bad, such a bad pick for a sleeper this year. Well, I, I would just say, like, that's a 84 plate appearances, right? Like, he didn't, I mean, he only played half a season in a short season. I think the, I think you're probably right that he's not as bad as he was last year. I think that, I would frame it that way, rather, I guess. I don't know, I guess the question is, like, where does he get a job next year? And that's, like, to me, coming off the performance he had, which I, I really do, I, Chad, I think you're spot on. I don't think... He is that bad a, a baseball player, and I also think like there are really positive things if you were his agent that you would be able to pitch for him. But he's he's gonna be a he's gonna be a sixth option for somebody if like you know he's gonna be he's gonna start in in the minors or something and gonna need someone to get hurt to get a chance again. I think like we're talking about like how old is he now? He's he's just a little bit too old. He's tw- he's gonna be twenty eight right now, right? So he's like just a little too old and a, like just a little too bad to get like that. Let's re let's see if we can rekindle that magic chance. Yeah, I would think that the Indians, some, I think gave him. I think some bad team would be well served to bring him into camp and see what he can do and see if he can recreate some trade value and, or, or for that matter, if I'm thinking of a team that would take a formerly talented guy who maybe had a weird year last year, who could maybe get a swing together and could use help in the outfield, maybe he's a non-roster invite for the Indians again. <laughs> like maybe yeah, he comes I mean, back to Cleveland. Maybe. But uh, well, all this is moot because he's he's going to play in Japan this year. He's he already signed. Oh, with he already Swallows. signed. Okay. Yeah, I missed that. Uh, I didn't realize, but I was just looking it up while we were talking. So. Interesting. Um, so maybe the move for him is to go over there and play for a season oh, yeah. two and try to rebuild values. So, um, well, if you're playing in an NPB league, I would definitely take a shot at him. I oh, think he's going to have yeah. a good season over there. <laughs> he does seem like a good player for that style of baseball and that his swing can maybe flourish. But yeah, I mean, he, he, I, I know that's like a rehabilitation type of year, right? And I think yeah. that's like probably going to get him a little bit more attention than playing than lang- languishing in double wow. a or triple a somewhere but and and frankly i don't see the terms on here but i i wouldn't be surprised if he was making more money there than he would for any sort of guaranteed contract he'd make in major league baseball so oh, for sure yeah i want i also wonder looking back at his his career i wonder how much he feels like he needs to be playing every day to maintain a rhythm and that he's had trouble getting that. And so being in a situation where he can play every day, get that rhythm, show what he can do, maybe puts him in a position to come back and get an everyday job again. I don't know. Just speculation. Yeah, yeah possible. That, I mean, maybe. That, that might explain a little bit of his struggles in Cleveland, certainly. So I, I should talk about the, the sleeper that I was sort of most disappointed in. And I was really excited about this guy. I had him on, on multiple rosters. Danny Jansen, the the Jays catcher, just, I don't even really know what exactly happened to him. Part of it is the catcher position was a disaster last year. He had 147 plate appearances. And looking at catchers with more than 140 plate appearances, Jansen, there's only there were only 15 of them, <laughs> and Jansen's 300 woba was 
12th out of those 15. Yep. If you drop that list to 100 plate appearances, at that threshold to 100 plate appearances, there's 32 catchers, and his Woba was 19th, which is still actually good enough that he belongs on an out-of-new roster and, and playing occasionally, but it's still not good. It's not what I was expecting when I called him out as a, as a sleeper. There are some good signs for him last year. His home run per fly ball rate went up. His walk rate went up a lot. His strikeout rate was up a little bit, but nothing concerning. He had his second straight year of a, a bad bat, but in this case, a terrible one at 190. But then his exit velocities were down. His hard hit rate was down. His barrel rate was up. But, like, I don't know. I it still feels like there should be more here, but he just he's not hitting the ball hard at all. And so even with the, the plate discipline improvements last year, I have a hard time seeing I have a hard time seeing him hit the ball well enough to bring any of those other numbers up. Just because we're now going on three years of him not really demonstrating what I what I thought he would demonstrate at some point. I mean, catchers sometimes take a while to, to sort of reach that potential and, and have that secondary breakout. And, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if in two years he finally gets to that point. But, yeah, it was a tough go of it this year. The good news is I think he's pretty much going to be their primary catcher, right? Like, I mean, I know Kirk is there, but he's not really is, a is defensive he gonna be their guy. catcher? I mean, is that I'm like really how unclear. are you in that? Well, I'm just really unclear. I, I don't know. I mean, who who else is Kirk, there? Kirk is the is the obvious alternative, but like, but do you I think, think he's, is he going to be an everyday catcher? Real no. Well, I mean, well, yeah. I guess that would change things. Yes, that would definitely change things if they went out or if they traded for somebody like Contreras or something like that. I don't think that team is. I don't think that team is what it's going to be on opening day. I think you know, that's they've true. Obviously, been linked to Springer. It sounds like there's a good chance Springer is going to fall through for them. They've been linked to Liam Hendricks, so like, which doesn't have anything to do with Jansen per se, but does show like that team is oh, just an like active money team, to spend. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they've and got they a are, bunch of young talent. They're not going to yeah, sit right. around. I was going to say that like they're they're just they are a team that looks like they're maybe two or three pieces away from being a really interesting baseball team, right? Like they're not super far away with the core they have right now. So I could see that. Yeah, but, I think if I look at but, if I look but at the same, resource. The if I look at roster resource right now, they've got Vlad at third with Rowdy Tellez at first and Alejandro Kirk as the DH with Jansen catching. I don't think it stays that way, right? I think you end up with Vlad back at first and you end up with Tellez at a DH spot and you end up with, therefore, a choice between Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen. Or the uh, field, I guess, is what you're or, saying. Or the field, right? I just, yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I, I think there's like a, a solid bet to be made there that Jansen will be if not the starting catcher a rotate like in the rotation of catching one of the things we talked about and when we talked about the catcher pre- preview was that in the shortened season you're like it's not going to be like a one day off a week situation for catchers and you know I, I this is like sort of outside the scope of this episode but from what i can tell i think 2021 will have that same problem like i don't think not from a perspective of we're only going to get 60 game season, right? Knock on wood. Like I'm hoping uh, we'll have a nice 162 game and a proper season, but I think we're all pretty aware that there are going to be delays and there's going to be postponements and seven, seven ending double headers and stuff like that. So Jansen saying Jansen's playing time goes to zero seems unlikely to me. Uh, 
though I understand at the same time, Chad, like you're, it's not a question of that. It's like, are we ever going to see that, that X, that next step from him that looked, uh, when you looked at secondary stats, like it was forthcoming, right? Yeah. I, I think I just, as a prospect, I thought this is a guy who, who's going to hit. He had a breakout. Right. What was it? 2017. And it looked like there was something legit there, but like I go back and I'm looking at his stat cast numbers for the last three years. Like, you know, in, in 2019, he had decent stat cast numbers. He had an 88.9 exit velocity, average exit velocity, 111.4 max, but his, his barrel rates are low. His hard hit rates aren't super impressive. His max exit velocity and average exit velocity are both down this year. And, I don't know. I like it almost looks like that 2019 where he wasn't that good was an outlier <laughs> and that the other two seasons where he was legitimately bad start to fit together and start I'm to be just, his narrative. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. Bad, I should say, in terms of the, the stack has numbers. His actual right, right, performance right. as a as a rookie in 2018 was was good, but it just he I don't know. It just it feels like there's a lot of backsliding and. Other like the plate discipline's gotten better, but the 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 ability to actually make contact and make solid contact hasn't been. And I I don't know. I mean, I'm just his, like his contact rates have gone down every year, and his contact quality hasn't really improved. And it's just I don't know. I I can't, I keep expecting a breakout from him. And looking back at the numbers now, it's really hard for me to project that this year. Other than as Justin said, just a generic. He's a catcher, and sometimes they break out late, so maybe he will too. And that yeah. doesn't feel like a lot to hang my hat on. No, but it might keep you going back to that well. And, and <laughs> I, I, I almost, I almost hope they like don't have a job for him because if if we hit auction season and he is the starting catcher in Toronto, <laughs> I guarantee he's going to end up on more of my rosters than he should. Right. And we'll be sitting here a year from now talking about like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that break will come someday. <laughs> Why can't Chad Young quit Danny Chanson? I'm going to have a Danny Chanson like anonymous episode. This is, this is a three or $4 mistake, right? This is at, yeah, least, yeah. at least from that perspective, like, you know, in the same way you were sort of shaping that Santana could be considered a sleeper going forward. Like, Jansen is not going to be a $12 player this season. So, right. Sure. And if so he, if you, if, want, he, if you want to pitch him again in a couple of weeks, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, take a dollar flyer on him and, and, you know, and what's the worst that can happen? You, you cut him and that's it. I mean, so real quick with mine, cause I don't think there's a whole lot of interesting to talk about with this player, but my, probably my biggest bus call, my worst bus call. Oh, I'm sorry. Worst sleeper call was Marcus Semyon. A lot of that had to do with the fact that he had an excellent 2019 and yet it seemed like the market just ex didn't, was not expecting him to follow through with that at all. So this was another one of those cases we've already alluded to it prior in the episode where I just thought the price was too low. He was kind of a boring player. So he, you know, what he was going for in auctions was, was less than I thought he was worth. And then he went out and put up basically his worst season ever. So it, 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 you know, he, he hit for less power. He, his Babbitt was reduced. He still walked at about the same pace, but then he also struck out a lot more than he did, especially in 2019, but even in 2018. So it was a very disappointing year for anyone expecting, not even just a repeat, but even just the sort of vintage, 
average WRC plus Marcus Semien, and and he was even worse than that in uh, 2020. So yeah, when, when you go back and look at his 2019, it's weird because it's a, it's obviously a breakout, but it it looks like a legit breakout, right? He walked more, he struck out less. The the BAPIP actually was down right, basically right at or a little bit at that time below his career average. Right. There's there's nothing in that 2019 that looks like, at least not to me, that jumps out to me as like, yeah, this is just, this is nonsense. There's no way he continues right. this. And yet in 2020, he do it like, yes, he, you know, he had a 91 WRC plus instead of closer to 100 like he'd been in the past. But like, he basically went back to being the exact guy he'd been every year except for 2019. Yeah, and I. I totally don't get what happened. I think it'd be interesting to do a deep dive into like, did he have a swing change or something in 2019? Did something else change in 2019 that he, for some reason, couldn't carry over? And what does that tell us about what, what his future might be? I don't know. But man, it's, you know, it just looks weird to me. And one thing we haven't talked probably enough about in this episode is just the 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 fact that this was such a strange, abbreviated season the impact that some players personally and sort of secondarily had with COVID. I don't recall if he ever landed on the IL for any COVID issues, but you know, that's one of those things where I know there are a lot of players that we've talked about, like in the, in the auto new Slack group where people will make the argument that you, you can't consider that he had a bad year in 2020 because he was dealing with, he, you know, he came back from COVID or, you know, all, all these other sort of, they didn't have a normal spring training. Like, what did they play a week of spring training when they normally would? And then it was everything shut down and then they never really had any sort of prep after that. So maybe that's could explain a little bit, or maybe he 2019 was just, that's just his career year. And he's never, he, he's never going to be that player again. So I'm going to throw some um, at you here. There, there's an article in fan from fan graphs by Craig Edwards from back in November about Simeon being a potential bargain free agent. This isn't a fantasy article. It's, it's an actual baseball article. But he has a, a paragraph here. It starts after a slow start had an oversized effect on the overall numbers. After 14 games, Simeon had a 24 WRC plus and negative 0.2 WAR. Over his next 46 games, he put up a 133 WRC plus and two WAR, nearly hmm. identical to his great 2019 yeah. performance. His StatCast numbers back that up with a 347 xwoba after his first two weeks. So. I, that's a super interesting data point. Eugenio Suarez, the the red third baseman, has a very similar story where his overall numbers look depressed. But if you just sort of say, let's pretend the first two weeks were spring training and then he got in groove, he had basically a career year. It's probably worth doing a di deeper dive into how many guys out there were just terrible for two weeks. And, and what did that do to their overall line? And we talked about this before the season, right? We talked about pitchers are able to go work on their pitches. They can take video and, and you know improve their breaking ball no matter who's standing in the box against them. But hitters can't get their swing in shape until they face major league pitchers. And maybe that's what happened to Simeon, right? Maybe he just he needed spring training. He didn't get it. He took two weeks of the regular season pretending it was spring training. And... Maybe there's actually a, a, a story here that is he was great for all of 2019. He had a two-week slump at a bad time in 2020 and then went right back to being the guy he was in 2019. And maybe that's the real story here. Yeah, it could be. That's interesting. Mark, Marcus Simeon is going on my list of, of sleepers for 2021. <laughs> <laughs> I just confirmed it. All right, let's, let's move on to our next section here. And now we're going to start talking about the things we maybe got right 
Let's talk about our best bust picks. So players that we called out as busts that that were validated, at least partially, I mean, as much as they can be again in a short season. Why don't we start with, with Niv? I know he had sort of a catch-all bust yeah, that I... I was a little cheating on this, but when we were talking about the catcher episode and our catcher previews, rather, one of the things I said and I stood by in in my League One strategy well, was that all catchers are kind of bad. And, you know, obviously there's a couple of elite ones, or there were ahead of the season a couple of elite ones, but given the up and down nature of the schedule, I'll say, and and generally just where I saw even like the expensive catchers, like I just didn't think it was any of them were worth spending money on. So I really wrote uh, all catchers would be a bust. And it turns out pretty much all catchers were pretty lousy. The good catchers weren't so good that they changed the no one no catcher carried anyone to a championship this year uh, a couple of ones you probably spent a lot of money on disappeared and the ones that you didn't spend a lot of money on held down the job fine i think i ran james mccann out there for most of the season and he was about as good as they come for catchers this year in his limited time but the fundamental thing was that sort of what i said just a second ago the the weirdness of the schedule really prevents you from getting like a workload catcher. And I wonder if that's going to repeat in 2021. Like I, I just said, I think it might. And so I would just like keep an eye on that, especially like as we get to it, there's a CBA in place. So we're going to have 162 games, you know, barring a, a massive lockdown here, which, you know, I'm not counting that out as impossible either. But if we have 162 games, we're probably going to have postponements and delays and stuff like that. And, and maybe even a break in the middle. So I wouldn't be surprised if, again, we see a situation where there isn't a big workload catcher. So even the best catchers aren't worth Boku bucks, like aren't worth like really the top end spending. And so I, I think that's just like the way I think about catching going forward for a little bit until we get to like a situation where all teams get, you know, are playing more like six games a week and catchers only get one day off at the most and then you start seeing like catchers who are playing enough games to really warrant spending money for yeah i, I haven't done any retrospective 2020 dollar values but i wouldn't be surprised i mean i'm trying to think of like who the top seven or eight catchers were i think the only one that might have even been close to returning value might have been real muto and then everybody everyone else like was everyone else was was a disappointment my so. my catcher bust which I could have used for my worst bust pick was Salvador Perez. Yeah. He was good. He was really good. <laughs> he was good. Yeah. Perez put up a 410 Woba last year. So, well, Niv, I think you're right that no catcher carried anyone to a championship. Sal Perez didn't like, you could have picked him up relatively inexpensively. He wasn't going at the prices of uh, Grandal, Real Muto, Gary Sanchez, even Wilson Contreras or someone like that, or Garver for that matter. And and he was Perez was was awesome. I think there's a there's a story with Perez that I probably should have been paying more attention to, which is that historically in his career, he's been a great first half, terrible second half player. And because of what he's meant to their pitching staff and what he's meant defensively, the Royals have a tendency to run him into the ground. And so there's always been this sort of yeah. possibility that he's a better offensive catcher than you realize when you look at his overall stats because by July, August, September, he's just on dead legs compared to his peers because he doesn't get as many days off. And all of a sudden in a shortened season where the days off are sort of forced upon you because you're playing so many games, he was able to actually put together sort of his first complete season. Man, he was he was really good. 
Yeah, but the the caveat there is that uh, that's 37 games that he played last yeah. year, and 32 of those he was a catcher. He wasn't catcher eligible until his fifth game, right? Because he missed all of 2019. Yep. So, <laughs> so that's still only half a season of. And so, like again, it's a, a half an auto new season. It's a great year for Sal Perez. Don't get me wrong, but it, it just wasn't a just a, a tough position to commit to in 2020. And correct me if I'm wrong, Niv. I, I feel like your your bus call out with, had more to do with paying up for any of that top paying tier, for it. right? Right, right, right. It's not that you can't find, but but because you can find and mix and match, it's that you were going to have to mix and match anyway, right? Yeah. And then it turned out on top of that, Contreras and Gary Sanchez, like the guys that you kind of wanted to like believe in as being uh, thirty dollar players or whatever, weren't right? They just right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. This, this, that was a good call by you in general. Uh, well, it just staying worked away, out. With staying the, away from catchers. Just scary, smart. man. Yeah. Yeah. Worked out. Let's talk about Chad. Who are your guys? Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit and use two that I was particularly proud of staying away from. It's the White Sox corner infielders, kind of, because Jose Abreu is technically a corner infielder for the White Sox, and he was really really good. But Edwin Encarnacion and Yoan Moncada were two guys who I was just like. I didn't get what was going on with their prices. They both seemed like they were they were way overvalued. Mankata had what looked to me like a clear outlier season in 2019. He is heavily, heavily, heavily reliant on his bat bit because he he strikes out so much. And all of a sudden, he had this big jump in his home run per fly ball rate. The bat bit went way up. And people were talking about him like, okay, he finally broke out. And I was like, I don't know. I look under the hood and I see the same guy I've always seen. And I, there, there's a little bit of a, a caveat to this, which is Mankata is one of the guys who had COVID and it seems to have really affected him. And so there's a, I think there, there may be a buy low opportunity that he bounces back from that more fully than, than you otherwise would, or the universe would expect. But I still think if you look back at his 2019, it was just, he's not going to repeat that. He isn't that hitter. Right. He's just not that good. And Encarnacion, this is just a case of a guy who was he was just old <laughs> and there was way too much of an opportunity for him to to fall apart he'd been on a downward trend his his strikeout rates which had always been really great were starting to creep up and he just struck me as a guy who like the bat speed's starting to go and he's he's that one it's it's the hitter equivalent of the pitcher who if they lose half a mile off their fastball half a mile per hour off their fastball is going to be done and, and encarnacion was that to me and it was like it's not going to take a lot for him to be just worthless. Just done, that's yeah. that's basically what happened. I also thought there was a chance that that Andrew Vaughn would force his way into that lineup at some point. That obviously didn't didn't happen. But Encarnacion was just people were paying him as as a you know a top five to ten second or first baseman, and I just I just didn't see it. Yeah, that was the right call. He, he it's somebody at some point had to be right about Encarnacion being too old, right? Like, cause it's, it's been, I, I'm sure people have been thinking that for a little bit, but I think this was the right year for that call. He's, he's been very, very good for a very long time, but, and right. And I mean, he just isn't going to have a job next year or anything like this, right? Like he's not going to. Yeah. I think, I think what happened with him a little bit is in his age 35 season with Cleveland, 2018, he had a, he had a big step back in his whoa, but he went from a 373 the previous two years to 346. And then in 2019, 
he he seemed to pick it back up a bit. And I think that it gave some people a false sense of security with him. And so in 2019, because he was coming off a down year, he was sort of a buy low first baseman. And then he was solid for a year. And because he was solid for a year, people went back to like, oh, he's, he's still Edwin Encarnacion. It's like, no, this is still the decline phase. And the fact that he had a year blip in the decline phase doesn't change the fact that, I mean, he could be Nelson Cruz, but he's probably not Nelson Cruz. Right. And who is really Nelson Cruz, I guess. That's what uh, I Real quick before we move on to, to somebody else, I didn't have him listed here under my worst sleeper pick, Encarnacion. I did. I do recall, I think, in that first base episode where I, I took the opposite position that you did, Chad. And I think I might have even at the time mentioned that I thought I had higher expectations for Encarnacion than I did for Jose Abreu. Uh, I was really wrong about that. The only reason I didn't mark that down, I think, is because I didn't take notes for that first base episode, so I didn't catch that I had already called that out. But as soon as you mentioned him, I remembered, oh, yeah, I was on the other side of that argument. I did not <laughs> win that argument. So <laughs> You were. I, I was. It was nice of you not to mention it until I brought it. <laughs> Who's next? Justin, who do you got? Yeah, I mean, real quick, Charlie Blackman, I think, was probably my best bust call. And again, he was still good but he would just not he hit 500 for the first two weeks of the season or well whatever, and right? then he and was then he was bad. still a bust yeah and then he was bad yeah and that shows you how how bad he was the rest of the way that right yeah he would i got forgotten about all those articles Remember talking about he whether he could hit you guys he was gonna hit 400 for the season <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean he was it was a 340 woba which is still fine for an outfielder it's it's definitely valuable but you, you, you know, wrote in your notes the beginning of the decline in the original outfield notes. And I think that's true. And I think it's especially true because he's another one of those players where you, you get concerned about if he's not playing in Colorado, you know, what does that do for his offensive production? We spent, we've spent some time in the auto news slack today talking about that, that age old question of cores home, home and road splits for some of these Rockies players. But I think that between his, his age and he's not super old, but he is, he just came off his 30 age 34 season between his age and the fact that a lot of his value is derived from speed and a high Babbitt because he's lacing the ball and he's, you know, he's getting doubles and things like that, any sort of degradation in that. And he, I think it was the power really that, that was gone this year more than anything else. His ISO fell from 262 in 2019 to 145 in 2020. I feel like it's hard to have that low of an ISO when you're hitting in Coors Field, especially just, just for doubles alone. Right. But. Yeah. So I do think that that, this, that short season in 2020 might be setting a new level for him. Steamer's projecting him for a 349 Woba, and that's probably pretty close to my expectation as well. And I think that, yeah, we might just sort of be entering this new phase of Blackman's career where he's still good. He's just not like the 40 to 50 you know, pushing $50 outfielder that he was in Autonew there for a while. And then the other one I wanted to, we haven't really talked about any pitchers yet. The one I wanted to briefly mention on the pitching side is Madison Bumgarner. We had a starting pitching positional preview episode where we had Eno Saris joining us, which was great. And he was one of the, Bumgarner was one of the ones that I pegged as a bust. And I, and it was validated, but in hindsight, I still feel like that was sort of, a very obvious call to me anyway, <laughs> I, even though some people still were sort of in denial that maybe he wasn't going to immediately turn back into prime Bumgarner just because he moved to Arizona. But right. I mean, it, he just doesn't strike anybody out 
And especially in Fangraph's points, it's not going to play. And then he was just bad overall, even regardless of how many he struck out. So. Right. I guess one one more boss that we want to mention, because I know Justin and I both had these guys down is, is sorry, all three of us had one of these two names down, which is uh, Altuve and Correa, and sort of the continuation of thinking about what the what's sort of the fallout and how much were the Astros hitters how much did they benefit from the cheating scandal and you know I think Altuve well both of them were just really not that great and well off you know Correa there's an argument to be made that maybe Correa you know our expectations for Correa are always a little too high Altuve I think it's starting to look like a little bit of the decline that maybe was postponed a little bit via cheating and via being able to like really sit on pitches and yeah I, I think like that's something to keep an eye on to continue like going forward like will will that Astros offense ever hit the way it hit the years that it knew what was coming and how much were they actually aided by that stuff yeah I mean I have to say that I kind of I hate that we were right about the, I mean, yeah. I think I was more on the Correa as a bus than the Altuve as a bus. Yeah. I think Chad and I had um, Altuve and you and I had Correa. Right. And, and I, I kind of hate that we were validated because I'm not sure I really still buy the argument that they didn't hit well in 2020 because they couldn't bang on trash cans anymore. I mean, I, I, I don't know what, if, if something else is going on or maybe that really is as simple as, as what it was, is that that was a crutch for them for long enough that, they now have to adjust to that, but because Bregman won't really, what did Bregman's season look like? Bregman like, wasn't Bregman wasn't a total fall off or whatever. But I he mean, was like, still down. Yeah, he was still down quite a bit. He was a three forty five Wolba after back to back seasons of three ninety six plus. I don't think Springer was as much of a drop off. If I'm thinking, but, that, but ab- no, he wasn't. But he had a three seventy nine. So he he fell off from twenty nineteen when he was a four hundred. Right. But he was still above his career average in twenty twenty. But so, you know, I so I it, I'm might, still... it might be a little simple. It might be a little simplistic to just tie it to a trash can or whatever. And obviously, El Tuve the age curve is not in his favor going forward, right? But and and Correa, you know, he's he's a weird hitter. Like if you look at his his numbers year over year, like. There are spikes and there are valleys in his Wobos every year. Yeah, and I think that just the magnitude of... I mean, they weren't just busts. They were, especially they Altuve, were horrible. like he was a nothing almost. I mean, he was... He might have been the worst value of any player this year in fantasy, regardless of what format you were looking for. Because um, everyone... If you, if you look at the Astros, like going back 2017, they had a 121 WRC+. plus. No one else was above 109. In 2018, they were they weren't quite as elite. They were around. Let me see. Pull this up real quick. They were a 109. They were they were fifth in baseball. There were a couple other teams at 110, 111, 112. So they were in that pack near the top. In 2019, they went back to being at the top. They had a 125, and no one else was over 117. But so you got three straight years of them being not just not just good, but truly elite, much better than everyone else for the most part. And then last year, this past season, their WRC Plus was 99. They were just a touch below average. And so was it the pressure of, of dealing with the fallout from the trash cans? Was it the lack of trash cans? Like, what was it? I, I don't really know. But there was something that impacted that team across the board. Like, 
they they got a breakout season from Kyle Tucker and still as a team just fell apart offensively. They were they were not good. And and so I, yeah, it might be a little simplistic to be like, "Oh, no trash cans, they can't hit anymore." But man, I don't know what else it is. Like what what's the explanation for a team like that? They didn't lose any key players. I mean, yes, they lost Jordan Alvarez, but yeah, they wait, well, didn't slow, have slow. Him. So they, they, they never, they really never had, had him. Yeah, he wasn't that's really true. Part of any of that. So they didn't really lose any key players. Yeah. They didn't suffer any major injuries last year. They had a breakout young player who they've been who they've been waiting on this guy to break out. He finally does. And yet overall as a team, they they had they just fell off a cliff. Yeah. Now, it's a short season. There's a lot of noise. Let's see what happens, but whew, I would it's definitely, not a good look. Yeah, I, and you know, I I, I did say like we, like when I thought about this when we're coming into the season, I thought about it in terms of well, these guys were caught cheating, they've been really shut down on the cheating stuff. Let's see if they, let's see if that affects them. And then they were all bad. Now, now this is going to be the year for them to really set the narrative of like, was it cheating? Was it just a weird year last year? Everyone was dealing with a lot of stuff all over, but you know, guys hit. Like it wasn't like nobody hit. So, like. What, what are we doing with Altuve and Correa going forward? Like, you have to really readjust, I think. I think you have to really think about pricing. Like, I think they were so bad that you have to reconsider their value going forward. It isn't something that you can overlook. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think you're right. And it's interesting that of the of the top three hitters on the team this year by Woba, number one was George Springer. Number two was Michael Brantley. But Michael Brantley, this was, this was his first year as an Astro, right? So he wasn't even really around for any of this. Or no, his second season. I, I take that back. So he played in 2019. But he basically put up the same numbers he did the year before, but he's a newer Astro. And then same with Tucker. Like, he's a young player who's just sort of barely getting his feet wet in the big in the big leagues. So he wasn't really involved in, in those scandals either. None of that. None um, of that's a smoking gun. But man, is it a bad, bad look. Bad look. Right. I, I agree. And like I said, I, I don't like that the narrative might have been validated here because I just didn't believe in the narrative. But... It's hard to see what happened and not think, huh, maybe like, maybe there really was more to it than I than I expected there would be in terms of the effects. Trash, the trash can and video room were two things that those guys really relied on. Well, and that's another factor we haven't mentioned either, right, is that we've seen a lot of hitters that have said that they that were really it, out yeah, of sorts without being able to look at in-game video, video. In video while, you know, while they're in the middle of a game. You know, maybe that was another thing that they really... We're dependent on whether it was from a cheating person, you know, a science but perspective still or not. Talking about it as something like, if it's the video room, are they just an organization that every player is highly reliant on the video room in a way that in right, other teams it's hit or miss? Some guys use it, some guys don't, yeah. and so you see mixed results. Like, I just it'd be hard to argue that point because yeah, every I, every team had that inability right. to look yeah. at video this year, and so, and, and guys hit, so it's not like. All right, let's let's talk about some guys who hit then. Who, like let's talk about best sleepers, yeah. Yeah, let, let's let's run through those real quick. Although we really probably should have spent more time on this because it's more fun to talk about the things we got right. But wh- why don't I start? Just so yeah. I can get, get some of these. Get out your of names in, man. Get your names um, in. I I think I have two hitters and two pitchers, and I'll, so I'll be very brief about it. But the hitters that I I think were my best sleeper calls were Bo Bichette. I do recall making a comment in the shortstop episode that I thought he could be like a short top three shortstop with like within a year. And he I know it wasn't 
a full partial season from him this year, but I think he showed in enough um, of his uh, time at the plate this year that there's something really interesting there. Although, wow, I think he backslid more than I expected after he came back because it looks like his Woba ended up at 353. I feel like in my head he was higher than that. So maybe I'll walk back that just a tiny bit. But then the other one was Framo Reyes, where I had pegged him more as not like a a high upside sleeper, but just sort of like a, a value sleeper where he was a little bit of an afterthought in that Cleveland outfield. And he wasn't fantastic, but he was very dependable and solid. And I think he was one of those players who got much better after those first two weeks of the season, if I recall correctly, where he struggled out of the gates and then really turned it on sort of similar to, to Marcus Semien. So, and then on the pitcher side, these are fun. The first one's pretty fun because Eno had called him a bust and I'd called him a sleeper was Denelson Lamette. And obviously he was spectacular this year. Super interesting to talk about what Lamette looks like going forward with the still two pitches and well, and the struck out everybody. So, yeah. well, and the fact that the Padres, you know, I mean, how many are they going to start collecting some more pitchers? I mean, they've already brought in Snell and Darvish who I'll eight man rotation. Yeah. So, I mean, I think obviously Denal was or Lamette was so good that he's still going to stick in that rotation for sure. But yeah, it is interesting that. Yeah, I wonder if, if we see struggles from him, does he become like a bullpen ace eventually at some point? I don't know. Yeah, um, you could see Paddock and him just being so interesting as bullpen arms. Right. But he was oh man, Lamette was awesome. Lamette was so good this year. Yeah, and and speaking of Darvish, he was my other um, sort of best sleeper pick at pitcher that I thought that. He was going to have a big bounce back from a disappointing season last year, and boy, did he! And then <laughs> that's um, a little bit more than a bounce back, yeah. And, and and I no longer get to enjoy it as a Cubs fan, which makes me sad. But I, I've learned to deal with disappointment, just as uh, you guys have learned to deal with disappointment <laughs> as well as Indians fans. So truly, <laughs> yeah. So. Those those are great pitcher picks, man. I mean, Lomet was just electric, must watch for me. And you know, and, and another one I didn't I didn't actually list, but I brought up in that episode with Eno as well was was Trevor Bauer. And I, I feel like I had a pretty good season in Audi this year. I think most of it was because I really had those guys on a lot of rosters. That having that strong pitching that I didn't have to pay a lot for between Lamette, Darvish, and Bauer, and like a guy like Kevin Gaussman was another one that I had at, at, on a number of teams really helped. Because I feel like my offenses weren't that great, but I was helped by having some some pretty solid rotations, even though I didn't invest a lot at the position. So, yeah, those 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 are all excellent pitchers. So, pulled up some numbers on on Fran Reyes because you had that question about you know was he one of those guys who after the first two weeks? Well, as of from eight four August fourth through the end of the season, he had a one thirty two WRC plus a three seventy WOBA. Some of that was BAPIP. He had a three seventy four BAPIP in the over that stretch. But yeah, I mean, he, he did start cold and he was, he was truly excellent after that cold start. So, yeah, I mean the, the full season numbers for 2020 look very similar to his 2019. It's a 338 Woba last year or in 2019 and then a 341 in 2020. But I, again, it's, it's whether you want to discount the struggles in the first couple of weeks, given that there wasn't a normal spring training. I don't know. Steamer's projecting him at 352 for 2021, which is interesting. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think I would. I think I buy that. I mean, I think that he's. Yeah. I think he's a better. He he certainly has more power than he showed last year, and the improvements he made in his ability to get on base. You know, some of it again is is BAPIP influenced. I think that'll come down a little bit, but he also walked more. 
and he's a guy who hits a lot of line drives and who hits the ball really, really hard. His average exit velocity over his career is 92.8. His max is 115.4. It was 114.7 last year. Like This guy smokes the ball when he gets it, and he hits enough line drives that he's going to be a reasonably high BAPIP guy. He hits the ball so hard that his fly balls aren't in play they're going out of play and his line drives like you either play him perfectly or those are going to get down pretty often because they're just hit so solidly so i'm i i buy that steamer projection i think there's probably some upside in that my 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 one well my biggest concern with him though is something we've talked about with domingo santana too was he's he's another really poor defensive outfielder so if he's not hitting he's going to be riding the pine or he's going to be you know, not playing in the majors. So there's, there's no way that's the path he takes in Cleveland, though. I, he's well, too... he's lucky that he plays in Cleveland. Yes, I, I, I will agree. Maybe. I, I don't think, I think he's established himself enough that if he went two or three months not hitting, he might have an issue. But he's going to have to go, you know, if we're if we're sitting at the all-star break and he's he's, you know, a league average hitter, then he might start to lose playing time. Right. But I don't think there's really any chance of him losing playing time before that. Uh, oh, I agree. But but if but if he does, you know, go through a month or two of league average hitting, he's not producing enough over an outfielder that can play defense and can't hit. It, you know, they may they may pivot in another direction. I, I can't see that. Not with a guy with his track record. That'd be to to bail on Fran Mil Reyes over defensive concerns because he has a bad month. Even how a bad that, two months. How is that different than Domingo though? Domingo doesn't have his track record. Domingo had one good year and then was terrible for a while, right? If 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 the last three years, like let's let's look at a comparison of Domingo Santana's three years coming into this past year versus Fran Mil Reyes's three years going to the next, right? So. Domingo had the that 372 WOBA in 2017 at age 24. But before that, he was sort of a league average-ish hitter. And after that, he had two years at 319 and 326, which are fine, but not, not any good, right? I mean, he basically was a league average hitter for most of that time. Domingo, or P- Fran Mill, has 360, 338, 341, like... It's it's a much stronger track record. He doesn't have any of those below average seasons sitting there. His career WRC plus is one fifteen. Like he's a much better player. You don't you don't bail on him as easily. He also is coming off his age twenty four season. He's only twenty five years old, whereas Domingo was what twenty seven. Just is twenty eight now. Yeah, and I think it's a totally different scenario. I don't think it's a I don't think it's that, a reasonable comparison. The, the the age I will admit is definitely a factor, but I I don't know. I feel like they have a lot more in common than than you think that they do. So, I think the Indians just don't have. I think they used all their bullets trying to find players last year. I think everyone's going to have a longer leash, uh, especially this upcoming season if they trade when they trade Lindor. I I, think I don't like, even like. I think what you were sort of hinting at is maybe more accurate than you think, which is that he's lucky to be in Cleveland because. They're just, I mean, they're not, they're not super worried about winning. So he's going to have a chance to figure out his, his stuff on the field. Right. They're just not super worried about it. I mean, and I'm, I mean, I'm a fan of Fran Mills. I mean, I called him as a sleeper. Right. I'm, I'm would probably double down on that again this year. 
I was just saying that again, it's that 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 consequence of not providing any value at all at the on the at the field. And yeah, if he's DHing, then you don't worry about that. But it's a DH, you expect a certain level of offensive performance. Performance that's right. um, that makes sense. That if he's not providing, then where are they going? You know, could they look somewhere else? Now, again, in Cleveland, maybe they can't, and they're just going to keep playing him. Yeah, I think that's a a very Cleveland thing to just it's just not i think that's 2021 cleveland i don't think you're super worried about your guys that you're if you if you have if you're rostering cleveland players in 2021 and autumn new i don't think you need to worry about them losing out on playing time unless it's really fringy or if you're rostering bradley zimmer or something for some reason or some ridiculous chad you had you had some pretty good sleepers I, I don't, so I'm just I'm, I'm pawning off on other people. Yeah, I think the 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 two guys that I was most excited about one just to to mention a pitcher, Herman Marquez with the Rockies was was I think people you know they hate the Rockies pitchers. Marquez is super talented though. I think he'd be great if he could get out of Colorado. He was still very good last year. It was a really nice cheap buy, but the guy I I harp on all the time. I absolutely love this guy is Dominic Smith. People for some reason weren't buying in after 2019. I still get a sense that people aren't fully buying in after 2020. I'll, I'll plug my own work in the next couple of days. I should have a piece up on pitcher list that talks about what Dominic Smith changed. He changed his stance and you can see it, it's super clear what change he made. He talked about it in an article an interview with uh, Baseball America before 2019. Dominic Smith is a legit stud. Like he's been one of the top ten to fifteen hitters in baseball over the last two years, and it's not a fluke. And if people don't want to treat him like that, that's that's totally fine. But it was it was there to be seen coming into twenty twenty, and all he did was build on it. Yeah, I guess with the new Mets ownership and everything, he is the face of the franchise a little bit now, right? I mean, on the hitting side, they they're they're using him for promo material and stuff. So if you're not paying attention to Dom Smith, you might not have a choice soon. <laughs> I don't have any sleepers. I didn't take very good notes in our position episodes, so I'll be just honest about that. So if I did say any of them, you can give yourself credit. You can give me credit in your brain about it. But I, I, for me, you know, I, a lot of the guys you want to buy high on, like I bought high on Harper, Trout, carry the day for me like the guys you can count on 60 game season you, you sort of fall back to the to the knowns and the sleepers i tried to hit on they just didn't work out this year and 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 by the way in fairness to you i feel like your sleeper picks you were very aggressive in terms of the sort of the quality of player you were looking at and yeah, calling out. I, I was really trying to hit on sleepers it, you have to remember again we were recording these in march and april we didn't know when baseball was going to happen but League One, the only league that I play in, had already drafted. So when I was thinking about sleepers, I was like, well, how do I reorient my existing roster that we had already, that, you know, Chad and I had already drafted in? How do I reorient a roster or what, what do I look for in, in thinking about a shorter season? Me calling out Bo Bichette as a sleeper is a lot different than you calling out Michael Franco as a sleeper. Right? Yeah, and Michael Franco so, was super fun for three week, three days or whatever. He was he w- <laughs> no more than I mean he put yeah, a couple best weeks. offensive year in the last five years. I mean I feel like you you deserve some credit for that might be right yeah for for now he probably wasn't worth more than a dollar or two in Ottawa even with a good season but he was better than he had been oh, which 
he was a complete afterthought. So right, um, yeah, that change of scenery really worked for him. But you know, like I think when we think about our sleep, I, I guess the way what I would say is going into twenty twenty one, and when we start doing our sleeper stuff for that. It will probably be a little bit of a different outlook on what we're even trying to accomplish with a sleeper. You're really trying to find people that are available for value in addition to just like guys that you not just lottery tickets. And I think, you know, I was well, and, for lottery and, tickets everywhere. And, here. and and maybe maybe we'll frame that differently this year when we go through that that process. Maybe structurally we'll we'll have you know, who's your, who's your value sort of boring value guy. Like I was calling out Marcus Semyon. He was not like a breakout pick, but he was sort of a boring value pick or Fran mill, um, in the same boat. And then maybe we'll, we will have a separate category for guess, who's your shot in the dark lottery ticket who could be worth negative five or 15, you know, I guess, you know, I'll, I'll try, I know we're, we're sort of long on time here and I just want to wrap with the saying something along the lines of like, if you've gotten this far in this episode, tell us what you think about what you're looking for when you think about sleepers. Because I think, you know, there's a lot of different ways of interpreting that. I definitely went lottery pick. Justin said you Darvish would be better than he was last year. And, you know, those are different outlooks on what that word means. Right. But there's a ton of value in calling out that you Darvish is going to be good. So, so yeah, if you made it this far, just tell us what you think of, of the term sleeper and what we should be talking about. Yeah, because we will definitely take that, that feedback to heart. So, all right, we, we ran long again. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean... 2021 begins just as a 2020 ended. I don't feel too bad about it. We haven't talked in a little bit, so it was nice to, nice to do this again. It was. It was. So thank you again to everyone who takes the time to listen to these. We appreciate it. And we absolutely are willing and, and, and able to take your feedback into account. And we, we record these so that you guys enjoy them. So if there's something we can do that we're not doing, please let us know. All right. Thank you. Thank you.